Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Hans Pearson, CEO of the Store Local Group. And I'm Mark Gregg, I'm the National Head of Revenue for Store Local. In light of recent events, we thought we'd get some experts from all around the globe to share their experiences and give us something to take away and apply it into our businesses over the coming days and weeks. We're really excited, so let's get into it. Welcome back to the Store Local Storecast. Uh, delighted today, uh, Friday the 1st of May, beginning of, uh, of another month, uh, and a couple of months into the COVID-19 crisis uh, period, uh, to be able to welcome to Storecast Jonathan Perrins. Uh, John's globally known throughout the self-storage market as a pioneer in all sorts of respects uh, across, um, across building, uh, ownership, uh, design, um, security, automation, etc. And, and John's been a keynote speaker and, uh, and a panel speaker at all sorts of conventions in the self-storage game for, for 30 years now. And, uh, and is also um, uh, a friend of mine and, and, and been a pleasure to do some business with John over the years, as a lot of people have. Uh, and, and also my business partner, Rob uh, and John have been, uh, have been very close over, over a lifetime. So, so it's a real pleasure to welcome John. And we're gonna to talk today about a range of things, given John's breadth of experience. Uh, and we're also gonna talk across a range of regions, uh, given John's um, uh, past and current exposure across a, a range of regions in the self-storage market. Uh, and we find uh, Jonathan today on his boat at the marina down at the Gold Coast in Brisbane, uh, enjoying, uh, enjoying a lovely day there, doing a bit of work on the boat and, of course, taking the opportunity to talk about some self-storage. So, Jonathan, welcome to Storecast. It's great to have you on, on board and um, uh, how's it going down there? Yeah, thanks, Hans. It's a um, nice place to be right now, but it's a shame I'm tied up in the marina, not, uh, not motoring down the, down the river out into the bay, but uh, it's good fun. Um, <clears throat> there's not much else to do. You know, storage sort of, it's, you know, it's a set and forget business in some ways in these times. You can't really interact. You can't do too much. Just got to let the, let the assets do what they're meant to do and um, the staff to do the work they're meant to do, the management team. So it's, um, there's not a lot for us as the owners to, to do <laughs> at yeah. the moment. Yeah. So how have you been spending the last couple of months, Jonathan? Oh well, I've uh, I've since I sold steel storage my business for I started thirty years ago or so. Uh, I sold in Jan uh, January to Janice from the US. So I've sort of now there's a little big part of my day that I don't have any more to go to work to. Um, so I've just been packing up and rolling up lots of files and putting things away and tearing things up and shredding documents and stuff. But it's quite interesting when you go back that far to see all the different phases you've been through to get to where you are today and where this industry got to today. So it's, um, it's been a bit of, bit of reminiscing for me, but, uh, and a, good to have a quiet time to do it, not, you know, rush from one thing to the next thing. It's just been good to look back over those many, many years and experiences and times and then try and figure out what happens next. But, uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, good, good space to be in. Well, that's great. Uh, as you've reminisced over 30 years in the industry, at least, 
and you've seen the, the change that's come in all different markets uh, because you're currently invested in the UK and you've been active in the Asian markets and and right at the forefront uh, as, a, as a real leader of the industry in Australasia as well. You've seen the industry change so much over that time in building practices and operating practices and in, in the investment community. Uh, have, have you reflected on that evolution and, and then how do you see that any particular trends going forward, Jonathan? Maybe a bit early to call in the middle of this, this crisis, but you might have some thoughts on how things might evolve. Oh, well, if you, <clears throat> you know, you look back, I mean, we, you know, when we first started, we were building, um, you know, single story drive up buildings that, um, that were very inefficient, I suppose you could say, but they were cheap. Um, storage has developed into a, you know, far more uh, uh, complex business than it, than it was in those days. I mean, you know, you talk to a councillor, I was talking to a councillor the other day in a planning department who was continually saying, this is an industrial use. And I continually kept saying to him, mate, this was an industrial use 25 years ago and you guys need to really start to look at what it does and who its customers are so you recut this business and put it where it needs to be. It's not an industrial use. Um, the customers are, are retail. The customers, 65% of them are women, householders, coming and going into these facilities and you're, so, you're forcing them to go down to industrial areas to do this which is what they don't want to do so um you know the business he's changing i mean i see it changing dramatically to a consumer business and and um these sort of times prove that you know i was just standing at a storage center and i just watched woman after woman after woman arriving to do something in that storage center for whatever reason they were there so um you know, it's not a, it's not an industrial product. And I think that all the industry has got to get out there to the councils and start really driving that forward that, you know, we're not a warehouse and we're not an industrial product. We're a, we're a place where, you know, people put things for different reasons uh, for, you know, and they're not act, you know, they're not creating building things. They're just putting things in there, taking them out and they're distributing products or whatever. Um, there are also storage centres are now changing to become more distribution centres too for people to do things. So it's where, you know, small businesses are operating. Householders are getting all their stuff delivered these days. They're not home. They're working. They get it delivered to a storage centre. They get it delivered to their unit for whatever reason. Um, so the, the role is starting to change. And it's interesting when you get a time like this, you see the different needs of people. So why aren't we going down why is our business slowing down there's a whole lot of new things starting to happen you know i was talking to our partners in the uk the other day and they've got a um, hundred stores over there we've got 28 stores in that of that hundred and they were telling us all the different types of things that were starting to happen that weren't happening like you know for instance one guy wanted 500 square meters to store hand sanitizers and uh, lots of people were, were leaving their flats to go home because they couldn't afford to pay the rent. So they were storing their, their belongings in the storage center. Um, all sorts of activity starts to regenerate, you know, because of this COVID-19 and storage is a place where a lot of that activity takes place. So, you know, I think I got to, you know, just keep reiterating. It's a, it's a real retail play going forward, not a industrial warehousing play we got to push in that direction. 
And what about office, John? The, the nature of people working in office is going to transform as a result of this, this great pause of the crisis that we're in. And flexible, warehouse, flexible workspaces and, and these sorts of things for people. Do you see a role, a role for storage to be able to offer some, some increasing component of, of office or, or co-working spaces? Well, definitely in um, Singapore and places like that, I've seen a lot of co-working space starting to work in storage centres, um, which, is, which is space that's related to people who store goods, not people who just come in there and hang out in the storage centre and they don't store things. The people who, who have a relative need for that product. Um, it's getting very popular. Uh, we get it in the UK. We see it in... I was in Italy recently. I saw a lot of co-working space in Italy. Um, it's it's here in Australia now. It's starting to move. I think people don't understand it. They don't even know it's there in a lot of cases. Uh, but it's it's definitely a, a product for the future, co-working. Yeah. Mm. So, John, let's talk a bit about building trends. Then, uh, again, you've seen a lot of lot of change over the years. Uh, anything you'd like to touch on at the moment uh, with building trends? And you might talk about fire. You might talk about uh, the quality of buildings and the built product that are meeting customers and, and also um, maybe we can talk a bit about automation and security today as well. Yeah, well, we'll go to start with building trends. I mean, I, I see, you know, people build multi-level buildings wherever you go and they build them in a different way for whatever reason. Um, the UK build multi-level buildings with mezzanine floors in them. And they do that because they get relief on council rates, et cetera, because the mezzanine floor is not counted as part of the GFA of the building. So it obviously relates to a lot of planning issues. So the economics for them are to stay with a wooden mezzanine detachable floor and not a concrete structure or a concrete uh, mezzanine floor. In Australia, you don't get the mezzanine floors are count, are treated as part of the GFA of the building. And in that case, I see there's a great argument for using concrete floors, which is a much better product for storage customers. At the end of the day, everything that I think about is what's the best thing for a customer, not necessarily what's the best thing for an owner. An owner always has a view, but a customer's got a more important view. They like to put their stuff in a concrete floor. They feel better, it's cleaner, it looks better, it looks cleaner. And from, a custom, from an operator's point of view, a concrete floor you know, we've got stores where refrigerators melt down, water's coming down through the floors, down into the office or down into other people's units. So it's more of a sealed contained unit. The other thing is concrete's great from a fire point of view. I think I spoke in the Cairns conference about this, but um, my view to it is that uh, a sprinkler system is is a great way to stop your building from burning down. Ultimately, fire departments are reacting more and more aggressively. Now, I think where there'll be a lot of retrofitting like that in Singapore, where you'll have to start to retrofit in Hong Kong, uh, retrofit your stores with, with upgraded fire systems, whether they be sprinklers or whatever, because it's, it's very underestimated by the fire department. They are not aware of how bad a fire in a storage center can be. Mm. It's one of the worst fires that you can have. Um, <clears throat> the the other thing with sprinklers is that you know the argument is they're expensive. Well, 
they are expensive and on a normal store they might cost about four hundred thousand dollars to install but there's about two hundred thousand dollars worth of givebacks that come back in the new development which is things like uh, you don't have to have such long um, or, or short uh, egress distances um, you don't need as many staircases you can uh, you don't need to put spandrels up the outside of the building to stop fire moving across you uh, you don't have to fire eight stairwells you don't have to fire eight lift shafts there are different things in different depending how you're actually designing the building but but we've found that you know there's up to two hundred thousand dollars so it's probably got a net cost out of about fifty dollars or forty dollars a square meter in the building cost of a building to have a sprinkler building that's a full sprinkler building with um, generators backup generators uh, pumps etc etc and, and concrete floors I think that's something that self-storage operators need to really think a lot more about a lot more about burn when your storage center burns down you're ruining it for everybody else in the industry at the same time because mm. we all get a bad name because of that. Uh, so it's a serious investment. And, and that, that to me, if you go to technology, I think the, um, the big thing I've seen in Europe lately and spent a bit of time on, and we had our guy out from Italy on that is the contactless move-in. That is people being able to rent storage spaces without necessarily coming into the office and, and doing a sales uh, deal with the with the staff that they can do it through the electronic or the um, the IT systems and whether that be a call center interaction or whatever I don't know whether the kiosks are so good we tried that didn't seem to work uh, <clears throat> what are working in the European market right now are call center visual systems that are where where customers can talk to somebody on a screen at the door of a center or over a computer through a zoom or some other type of technology because all the all the all the detailing can be done by those modems now the technology is quite simple and john do you see that accelerating as a result of the current environment where people are running business yeah. very effectively like the way we're talking now so in the uk it's how the our stores are running at the moment through a contactless system um you know, they go, oh, well, how do they get it? How do they get a padlock? How do they get to a unit? There are ways, you know, we put uh, padlocks with uh, combinations on them, on units. People can go to the unit. They, we can send them the combination for that unit. If we know who they are the day before we close, we can always put, you know, the last four digits of their mobile phone number or something as the combination. That'll get them into their unit. We can issue them with a PIN number. We can issue them with that. We can do their ID by simply using a modem like this, putting the ID up, taking a, a screenshot, checking it out. So everything can be done quite simply. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, so it's, it's working quite well in other countries. I don't see why it can't work here. And, and John, what sort of, has that reduced the, the need for staff at those stores where you've got 100% contactless moving capability? Well, it's, it's worked in two ways. Uh, one is that it's allowed people to have smaller stores in closer to population, more dense population areas where we can't currently afford to do it. So, for instance, in Milan or in Rome, we had a look at one there that's, uh, you know, a thousand square metre store. It's right in near the Vatican. It's underground. It's 100% full all the time. It's in very high rents, no staff on site. So 
one guy looks after four of these. So he rotates, he meets people there if he needs to meet them. Um, you know, there's, there's never been a problem. No problems at all. Works like a dream. So it's really people getting their mind around it. So, you know, one person can look after four of these or, or one person can look after one big one. The big ones are out further out on the you know, outskirts. And people who want bigger spaces, bigger units go out there. But all those people that you can't get to at the moment around the inner cities of Australian capital cities are missing out because we don't want to have a smaller store and we don't want to change our technology to make it work. And uh, we do need to do that because there's a lot of market there to be had. That's where the customers really are with the, with the right amount of money to spend for this product. Yeah, yeah. And the need. And... and well, at least our view, Jonathan, is that the customers are going to be, go back to your comment, what's good for the customer? Customers are also going to want to have more contactless um, uh, relationships with retailers, such as self-storage, just from a, a health and safety angle. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, with the advent of things like uh, automated doors and, and sensors and these sorts of things, that technology mm. is really here already. Fair comment? Yeah, it's here. We're using it right now as we're using talking to each other right now. Yeah. This is this is how it works when you want to rent a storage unit. It's just no different. Um, you know, I've got a mobile phone next to me. I can tell you all. I can give you all the information right here yeah. to rent a unit off you. Yeah. Um, so there's no big no big deal really. Um, and you know, it's what the customer wants. So you got to do it because I know so he, that's what he wants because I've seen them do it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're building a store now at uh, in May 2020 in mm -hmm. really any of the markets that we've spoken about, uh, what are the key features that, that you'd be putting into a store now uh, that that you really think, if, if you don't put them in, you're, you're sort of, you're going to be missing the market going forward. The market's changing that rapidly for technology and design. Well, you know, you always got to look at it from a customer's point of view and work your way backwards. So the most important thing is women are the most important customer. Well, they're the majority of your customers. So you've got to make sure that everything in the place works for a woman. So, you know, I'm a great believer in not putting roller doors inside buildings because women hate roller doors. They're big, heavy, cumbersome things with sharp handles on them. They got dirt on them most of the time because the Really, the people don't have time to clean the roller doors every day to keep the dust off them. <laughs> Women are particular about that sort of stuff. Well, most of them are. So, you know, two double swing doors is always what I recommend. Uh, it's like a cupboard. It's like opening a door in a house. It's, 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 it's an easy thing. Women, they like that. They like white, glossy, open hallways. They don't like, you know, dark, dingy, dead ends. They like music. So... You know, they've got to hear stuff. They don't want to feel like they're the only person in the building. So we put windows at the end of hallways now. Um, we put pipe music through the building. We, you know, we make it a, uh, we make it a, you know, a pleasant place to be. We, the lighting is very important. Like really and truly, we spend a lot of time on the lighting, getting that right. And that's, you know, not being greedy about having lights in units. People have got this big thing that, you know, you can only put lights in 18 square metre units and everyone else has got to somehow, you know, buy a torch. <laughs> a lot of time then they're trying to read stuff, look for stuff, dig through boxes and they can't see anything. 
It's all because we don't want them to use the electricity. What's the problem? You know, most of our stores now are all run by solar power. So we don't have really electricity costs. So why are we not giving them some lights? Sure. Um, Do we really need PowerPoints in all the hallways? You know, do the cleaners really plug into the PowerPoints to clean floors these days? Everything's battery operated. It's all done from a battery. So, you know, maybe we could save some money on those sort of areas and spend a bit more on putting lights in all the units. Um, the LED lights that we use, it's important to get the right types of lights. It's important to change them regularly, um, you know, 20,000 hours for a normal tube. So, you know, every four years you go through the building and just replace every single light at once. Don't go around bloody pulling light bulbs out, and putting another one in and having them all, always having, you know, broken light bulbs around the place. Yeah. Just get all that stuff sorted out. You know, um, the other things that we look at is you get out of the car, what do you want to do? You want to get out of the car, put your stuff on a trolley. So, you know, we look carefully at what sort of trolleys we use. We bloody, they're all chip paint all over them and look gungy and dirty and put, expect people to put their stuff on them. So we, you know, we look at the Ikea, they have good trolleys. So we just use their trolley, that brand of trolley. They need a stack. They go in nicely into racks. People use them. They put them back. If they're left lying, all those great big things that they leave lying all over the foyers, then that's basically where they throw them when they're finished with them, back in the driveway, out outside or in front of a lift. You know, rolling down the street, who knows where they go. But, you know, you need to get some order into that sort of stuff. So they go from there, put the trolley over to the car, which is near the trolley bay, hopefully. They load the stuff onto the trolley. They then want to go to a lift. They want to go to a unit. So how long is the round? Do we ever measure how far the worst trip is from the car? Mine is that, you know, it can't be any more than a minute to get to that worst unit in the building. So therefore the lift's got to be fast and efficient. It's got to be high speed. It's got to be auto doors. It's got to be traveling at a meter per second, not 250 a second, not with a roll up door on it that takes another 20 minutes to get them up there. Because if they've got to do 20 trips or 10 trips, there's hours and hours in this. And removalists get fed up with it. They are charging by the hour. The people are paying more for the removal cost, all of that. So the whole experience has got to be a good one, not a owner-focused owner one, but a customer-focused one. And I think that's the thing that's missing in a lot of developments that I see around the place these days is that it's all about the owner, not about the customer. And um, and there are many, many, many more things I can talk about on that front because I spend my whole life going around looking for those ideas and things to make that a, a better journey. But uh, yeah, uh, well, probably just one one last thing to talk about on that is the retail space. So we've seen retail spaces grow over the last five yep. more years, um, but it's fair to say that the, the the sale volumes of merch are coming back. There's alternative places to get merchandise these days is boxes that are as cheap as chips at you know big hardware retailers etc um are you are you still of a view that part of that customer experience is that that a, re, a large retail space um still a nice retail space but a large re, retail space is required or would you look at trimming that back and maybe maybe the same floor space can be repurposed in part for some co-working space or some alternative uses any, any oh yeah i'm I mean, that's constantly an equation that I, you know, run through. But 
Um, I think that people have got to work out what are they, how much stuff do they, are they prepared to sell in a year and work it backwards? Because that's how much space that you can't, you know, you, you've got to allocate. So, mm. you know, you've, if I look at it, you know, about 100 metres of space or 80 metres of retail dedicated space is probably in a good store going to bring in about $600 a square metre per year. Yep. Basically, when you, when you work out the, the cost of the goods, the margin and whatever, that's the sort of money you should be sort of getting to. Um, if you're selling, so therefore then work the numbers backwards to the amount of space you want to you want to have. So you're right, Pans, that sometimes if it's not selling and it's not working so well, should you just keep it all loaded up with cardboard boxes and stuff or should you be trying to give some customer advantages? I mean, I went to the US and I was at public storage and I was in a store, big building. It had been open 18 months. It was 80% full. And I said to the guy, over there, you don't have a lot of retail, a lot of uh, boxes. So it's a big store, very busy, whatever. I said, you've got a few boxes, but not many. He said, we're in the self-storage business. We sell space. If someone needs a box, we've got a few. If they want to get them down the road, that's great. But we're not here focused on selling boxes. Mm. We're here to sell space. So, you know, you can take that view. The other is, well, we actually make quite a lot of our these boxes. But just somehow a lot of operators got to think how much time is out, how much time do our staff spend selling boxes and merchandise when they sh could put extra effort into selling space? Because the real, the real return is in the space, not in the boxes. Yeah. So, you know, we don't want to have three people sitting at the counter because we've got so many people coming in buying boxes. Therefore, we only need one really because those two, there's no way they're selling enough boxes to pay their wages. So, you know, that's, that's my view on it. If it's a busy place, you can have 100 square metres. If it's not, don't, don't get carried away with it. Don't, don't do it at all if you don't feel the need. Have a few there just in case someone's short a few. Tell them to go down to Bunnings and buy the boxes. That's right. You want to sell the space. Look, it, uh, I, I tend to agree with you, Jonathan. There's been a big change in the trading trends, mm. at least from what we've mm. seen. Right. And, you know, there's always been this external signage of, you know, self-storage and box shop. And the box shop has been almost as prominent as self-storage. And yeah. the box sales have been, you know, in good times, 7 to 8%. Um, and certainly mm. that now. Uh, doesn't mean you don't have any, I agree. But, but okay, now it's just good to get your feedback on that. But certainly from our end, yeah. uh, it's still like the, the emphasis on, on boxes and, uh, and locks and those sorts of things is changing. And, and with, um, with Bluetooth automated access doors, even into the units, uh, the focus on locks surely must change. If we're, we're sitting here in 20 years time and we're still, um, we're still using padlocks on doors, we're, you know, we're really, mm. I mean, we're, we're a high margin industry. So our, our incentive to innovate is pretty low, mm. I get that, but, but you know, surely, surely we're shifting along a little bit. Well, it also comes down to that you know, sometimes the most important thing, you know, they want to sell them the padlock. If we just give them the padlock, I mean, it's $5. They're coming in to spend thousands with you and you, we're, we're cringing on the, trying to make, you know, a fortune out of a padlock. And they go, geez, that's a lot of money for a padlock. Or, or uh, I can't move in on the weekend because I haven't got a padlock. You know, oh, well, you can buy one from me for $10 or something. Just, you know, why, why get hung up on a padlock? 
Uh, it's uh, human it's nature. We're all product. We're, we're yeah. used to doing things the way we're mm. used to doing things. Um, Jonathan, uh, any any comments that you, that you that you're seeing again? I said at the outset, you've got a global view of the industry. Uh, the chats we've been having over the last couple of months uh, have had a, a context of the COVID nineteen crisis and seeing mm. its impact in trading and in, in staff support and in marketing across the different markets. Uh, are you able to share your perspective uh, given your uh, knowledge and, and involvement in the, in the UK, the Asian and the, and the Australasian markets? Well, um, you know, in the UK, for instance, it's, it's pretty well like here. I mean, a lot of customers can't get to the storage center to take it out. But then again, a lot of customers can't get to the storage center to bring it in. So there's a lot of people who you know, haven't, haven't transacted yet either way. So there's probably a huge amount of demand that's going to come through the door in the next few months. So what we're dealing with here are people, if, you know, there's, you know, they're just, there's a few moving out, those that can, but there's probably not all of them. I think business will, you know, work quite well. I'd, I, I'm not, you know, I'm quite amazed at the, the resilience of the industry. Clearly, the you know the GFC, it was it was a similar situation. It wasn't customers were just using us for different reasons than they were in the GFC days. Sorry about this, Ed. Sorry, just give it a call. Uh, people were using storage for different reasons. Uh, during a GFC than they were in a in an upline. You know, people are packing up, divorces, death, more, more and more things like that were were going off. So we'll see it today. We'll see restaurants are selling up or packing up. Furniture's got to be moved in. Cooking gear. You know, things are going to come in. Things are going to go out. So you know, the same's going to happen. Bank managers are going to bring people's stock in and try and sell it. Traders are going to come out of big warehouses into smaller warehouses, they'll come to storage, use that, get some flexibility for a while to like get their turnovers back, they'll move back out. Um, same thing's happening in the UK that, uh, you know, we've got, you know, the usual thing, we're doing more contactless, so we're getting more customers coming in who wouldn't normally, because they think there's somebody there, or we'd be putting a thing up saying, don't come in here because we've got, you know, we don't want to have contact. You know, why do we want to put all these obstacles in front of customers again? Um, just do the contactless move-in. Come on down when you're ready. Help yourself. You won't run into anybody. So I think it'll be fine. Asia's doing... I've talked to the Asians. They're having a very similar situation. Um, and I know what's going on in Australia, which is what you're talking about, is that it's, it's pretty stable still. Yeah, yeah. Some people are taking big hits in some areas. I, I, don't get me wrong, but... Generally, across the board, I'm not hearing a lot of doom. Mm -hmm. Look, it's it's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the resilience of the sector, and you've been in it for a lot longer than I have, but um, yeah, I was certainly around for the GFC and, and to see it resilient then. And, and, and once again, so far, uh, in, in this current crisis, it's remarkable. But I, um, at least my view, Jonathan, is that... that one of the differences in the, the GFC to now, this is going to be potentially really characterised by uh, a massive acceleration in the technology that our, that our sector can take on. Mm. This technology just didn't exist 10 years ago. 
Uh, and, mm. But this time around, the technology is there and we, we aren't a, a slow um, adopter of, well, sorry, we're not a fast adopter of technology in our sector mm. for the, the reasons I said before. It's a, it's a good margin business and pretty simple business when you boil it right down. So, so mm. why, why try harder in some respects? But uh, it's going to be interesting to see the technology sweep through the industry, um, I would argue, uh, as a result of the, the, the correction that we're going mm. right now. The hard, the hard part, obviously, in the last GFC was more in the area of development capital. Mm. Banks wouldn't lend. No one was too sure about what to do. So it was tough to get new product out there. So that obviously meant uh, more, you know, more customers going into stores as demand grew. There wasn't a, we weren't able to meet it. Mm. The US, we saw that market get to about 95% total occupancy at one point. Um, but this time around, I'm not sure it's too early to say what the, what the capital markets are going to think about us because they're, you know, they're, it's not, it's early days. We're only, you know, a couple a month into this thing. So we, we don't want to jump to conclusions. It'll be, you know, in six months time, we'll start to see what's really going on out there. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Agree with that. Mm. But, uh, but encouraging science at this, this early stage, which is, which mm. is wonderful. Um, well, Jonathan, uh, if, I just want to say thanks so much for mm. for joining today. It's good to have another fireside chat with you. We should do it more often. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, enjoy the, the rest of the, the work you've got to do on the boat yeah. today. Uh, and I'm sure people are viewing this um, in all different markets around the world will, will, will learn a lot from, from your, your deep experience and comments today. So I yeah. appreciate your frankness and, uh, and, and your sharing um, your deep knowledge about the sector, mate. So, so thank you very yeah. much. All right. Thanks, Hans. Nice to rejoin you on these one of these conversations. Been good. We have, I was saying to Hans earlier, I think we our first one was 15 years ago or something at a Ray White conference in Sydney. Indeed, indeed. And we uh, uncovered some ideas there. So that was good. Yeah. Right. All right, Jonathan. Mate, All right, a, thanks. Great to chat. Have a good day and uh, appreciate your All time. Right. Thanks, mate. Bye.